0: everybody, my name is Mitch, I'm the campus pastor for uh, Westside Campus, and it's my uh, privilege today to, uh, to share the message with you, and um, so hello everyone out there, I'm not Adam, um, but, but I am here to, here to speak with you this morning, and what I want to speak about is do our lives reach people or repel people from Christ? Do our interactions, our relationships with other people draw us closer to or push, us or push others further away from Jesus. I want to discuss how our day-to-day, moment-to-moment selves fulfill or impair the mission of the church, the mission of Christ. See, almost every organization, um, business, whether it's uh, regardless of religious institution or secular institution, has a mission or a goal, a unifying Statement: a common direction. Our mission as a church is to make new disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. I love that. I love it. I am a passionate member of this church and this congregation because of this mission statement. I believe in this mission. Well, where do we get the idea? Where did we get the idea of that mission statement as our as our church? Well, it's a great question. It comes from what we call the Great Commission, as Christians know it. It's um, in the New Testament in Matthew, the, Matthew 28, at the end of the Gospel of Matthew. And it's Jesus' last words to his followers, his disciples, before they witness him rising up into heaven. Now, a little extra context here these folks um, that he's speaking to spent the past few years with Jesus. They saw Jesus heal countless people, restore sight to the blind, make the lame walk. Saw him feed 5,000 people with a boy's lunch. They saw him betrayed, tortured, die a criminal's death on a cross. Wrapped in funeral clothes, buried in a tomb, covered with a big rock, guarded by Roman soldiers. Done. And done. And then he shows back up resurrected, alive. And he visits with them multiple times. And during one of these visits, he tells them to go meet him on a mountain. So that's where we're going to pick up Matthew 28. If you have your Bibles, you want to pause since we're virtual and online. If you want to turn there to join with me, Matthew 28, verse 16 to 20. And let's go uh, line by line. And unpack Jesus' command. Verse 16. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. Alright, so they went. Who went? The eleven disciples. The guys we just talked about. But this disciple word, how do we, that's not something we normally use in our day-to-day English vocabulary. Not many people, you won't hear it said, you know, oh, I've been discipling under Bill over in accounting for the last couple of years. and I really feel like I got these spreadsheets figured out. You know, I'm really, I'm really acting like Bill and uh, most people, sometimes people even think my spreadsheets are Bills. Um, but, but in the time of Christ, there was this, um, this people spending time modeling their lives on those they were disciples of. Like an apprentice you could recognize the master's behavior by the behavior of the disciples. Those people who followed Jesus, the people he called to himself, acted like Jesus. They emulated him. They were always with him, they saw his every move. They didn't act like him before he called them, which is important for us to remember, but they slowly started to after spending time with him. They used his actions as a compass, as a way to guide their own actions. Jesus rubbed off on them. There's a New Testament word, a Greek word we find in the New Testament, um, diatribo, which means to rub against or to to rub together, and it's used to reference this relationship um, that Jesus had with his disciples. You see, all the disciples were different They're from different backgrounds, different families, different religious um, groups, different occupations. They had different relationships with Jesus, but all their relationships with Jesus were individual and intimate, and they were all being drawn closer to God through a relationship with him. So, these are the disciples, his closest group of people. The followers that had been with him the longest, they showed up where he told them to show up, and just as he promised, he was there. Verse 17, when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Pause right there. If this isn't isn't a permission to give ourselves a little slack when we are sometimes weak in our faith, I don't know what is. These guys, they saw him die, saw him again very much alive, but yet some of them but some doubted. Some of them were like, mm, "I don't know about this. Mm-mm. I, I don't know." But Jesus doesn't banish them, doesn't chastise them, he doesn't come down on them. Verse eighteen: Jesus comes to them and says, "All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me." He's explaining the situation. He's saying, "It's okay, guys." I know this doesn't seem natural because it's not, but I'm God and it's going to be okay. Everything is going to be okay. I am who I am. It's all right. This is what I need you to do. Verse 19, after he says, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, therefore go and make disciples of all nations. And this is where our church gets our mission statement. Make disciples of all nations. Well, what does that what does that mean? How do we do that? Well, we act like Jesus. We act like him and behave in the way he shows us to. We accept for and we care for people like he does. We draw in the hurting and the outcast and the lowly like Jesus did. We have grace. We give second chances, third chances, 50th chances. Chances, we let a little bit of him who is in us shine out into this dark world, a world that needs hope. Make disciples of those people all those people, is what Jesus is saying. Regardless of status or class or education or background, skin color, religion, language, no matter what, start that relationship, start the conversation, act like Jesus. The Bible's full of stories of him him starting these relationships, starting these discipleship relationships with simple conversations. He does it with lepers, with women, prostitutes, blind, lame, possessed by demons. And he never does it the same way twice. For example, find the stories about healing the blind, they all have a different unique little twist on the cure for each unique person and individual, but they all resulted in a transformed life. And they all started with a simple conversation of caring and everyday interaction that Jesus made extraordinary. So verse 19 continues: make nations of all Make nations of all the world, but ba- and then baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And I love this reason I broke verse 19 and put that pause in there with that comment, is because the make disciples is the first part of that command. I love that. That starting the conversation, the beginning, the interaction with someone is the beginning of their disciple making. It's the starting point. Make disciples, baptize, and then teach them, show them all the things Jesus has commanded. And he wraps up with, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. You're not alone. I am with you always. It's going to be okay. Surely I am with you to the very end of Of the age. See, just as Christ spent time with and loved people as the Son of God, he calls us to step into our role as children of God and build relationships that tear down walls and bridge gaps, interactions that draw people closer to God, not push them further away. I recently came across this quote that I really like from the um, late Honorable Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg. She wrote, fight for things that you care about, but do it in a way that will lead others to join you. That's how we should defend our faith. That's how we should represent Christ. Christ came to love, to protect, to heal, to fight for the vulnerable and lift them up He didn't come to condemn the sinner, but rather to forgive the sin and remove the guilt and inspire life change. Once we're called to Christ, we realize that it's not about just our salvation, but rather how we choose to share that salvation with the world. It's not about you, but rather how you choose to influence the world around you. You have the ability to change the course of a life a family, a community, even history because you pulled someone closer to that relationship with Christ instead of pushing them away. Now, don't get me wrong, you don't have to be a super chipper person. This doesn't have to be um, always, it's not always about affirmation, right? You may not be the big um, affirming type, but sometimes that's hard and sometimes you may have to do it. Sometimes it may be a hard truth you need to share with someone, or it might just be a hand to hold or a shoulder to cry on or a pep talk that says I can't hold your hand forever stop crying I will help you through this but it's done with love now some people this is going to feel impossible with you know who I'm talking about that person you don't want anywhere near your Jesus that person that makes you question whether Jesus really does love everyone you know That person you're kind of glad COVID canceled Thanksgiving for, maybe? They make your skin crawl a little bit? Well, that's who we're called to have grace for. To have patience with, to crack a smile for, to acknowledge as a person, a fellow child of God, a brother and sister. See, Jesus loves everyone, but not everyone knows it. But those of us who do know it, it is our responsibility to show the rest, not to tell them, but to show them. Jesus didn't disciple people because they earned it or deserved it. He didn't love them because they deserved it. Exactly the opposite. He loves us because we don't deserve it. And that's the kind of love that when we realize it's been poured out on us, we can't help but to share it. I believe this. I love this line, and I believe this. Loved people love people. And so does Bob Goff. Bob Goff is a follower of Christ. Uh, He's an author. He's a lawyer. He's a husband. He's a father. Um, He's the consul to the Republic of Uganda, among many other things. But he authored this book, Love Does, that um, is kind of a compilation of stories about this amazing life Bob leads when he leads with love. In this book, he writes of this uh, relationship he had when he was in high school um, about a guy that drew him closer to relationship with Jesus through showing him that he was loved. I love this quote he writes after this relationship with this guy named Randy. He says, I learned that faith isn't about knowing all the right stuff or obeying a list of rules. It's something more, something more costly because it involves being present and making a sacrifice. The kind of love that God created and demonstrated is a costly one, because only, costly one because it involves sacrifice and presence. What I learned from Randy about the brand of love Jesus offers is that it is more about presence than undertaking a project. Love does. So like Bob, I imagine most of you, and myself included, had influential relationships in those um, developmental high school years. If you're in high school right now, I'm sure you have some relationships that are going to model how or mold how you um, interact with the world going forward. I know for me, in retrospect, I can see how many of these relationships have influenced how I respond to people and relate to people today. And I came from a tiny tiny high school. I graduated with 25 kids in my class, and we were one of the bigger classes, so that may be shocking for some of you, and for some of you, uh, you probably have me beat um, with small class sizes. Uh, This little school I was from, athletically, we were average at best, uh, at most things, so I cannot regale you with stories of of state championships or undefeated seasons or or anything uh, too glorious like that. There were some victories along the way in there, But I can tell you about a coach we had, and I'm gonna call him a track coach because that's what he was for me, but Coach Wood. um, He kind of coached whatever he was needed to coach. Um, I think probably in the coaching standpoint, it wasn't like a state champion style coach either um, with a vast record, but he had a record of coaching what he was called to coach, doing his part for the school. And uh, my junior year, he didn't coach softball, he didn't coach basketball, but he was called to coach track. He was asked to be the track coach that junior year. Now, track, ma- track makes my stomach turn. It didn't made, it makes my stomach turn. Um, I know that's not for everyone. You know, we have, uh, we have Sherry as a track star here in our midst. Um, but uh, we've had, we have great marathon runners here in our congregation. Um, and it's just not something I'm gifted with um, um, in the running Avenue of things, but but it was not a, it was not an event that I made a habit of signing up for a team that I was planning to be a part of. And track and field was that season that came at the end of the school year. But this coach, Coach Wood, who was in charge of track that year, he started he started recruiting on the first day of school. Buman, you're running track this year? Nope nope, not doing it. A week or two would go by and he'd bring it up again. Like I was constantly mulling it over or something. Like this was something I was really considering. He'd ask me if I was going to run track again. And this went on and on through the fall semester and as spring semester started, he finally broke me down. See, he had this plan had this plan to win track meets, and he knew there was a place on his team for me to help him achieve this goal, this mission of winning track meets. And I don't fully understand it. It wasn't something I spent a lot of time researching, but apparently you get points for placing in the different events. And the higher you placed, the more points your team earned towards the final point total at the end of that meet. And like I said, I was from this teeny, tiny town that went to these teeny, tiny track meets that wasn't overwhelmed with vast numbers of athletes. So the way I understood it is coach would go into a meeting with all the other coaches before the track meet started and sign athletes up for events. See all the other kids on my team, they generally had a good idea of what they were going to be doing. They've been training for it all week. They're either going to jump, high jump, or run the mile, or be a sprinter in the short distance races. But not me. I had no idea what I was getting signed up for. I was strategically got placed in the events that had the fewest competitors that day. Thus increasing my chances of scoring a point for my team. I had to trust this coach that whatever events I got signed up for were part of the bigger plan, part of the bigger picture, part of scoring a point for the team. Coach included me in this vision, in this mission that was bigger than me and showed me that I had a role to play. I believe Jesus' vision and Jesus' mission is not about you as an individual. It's bigger, and he wants you to be an important part of it. This morning, I want to ask you to live a mission, a mission to make disciples of Jesus Christ, to think your day-to-day actions as an opportunity to advance the kingdom, to advance the kingdom by being loved people who love people. That's the part of disciple-making. Choose actions that draw people closer to Jesus, not push them farther away. I want to ask you to choose to believe you are in an event, and by running it, you are choosing. Choosing to be part of a bigger plan. And by running it well, you're pointing others to Christ and fulfilling your mission and the mission. Amen? Can you pray with me? Lord, thank you for the opportunity to gather together and share your word this morning. Bless all those who are out there in this community to. Lord, we know that we do things and we say things that are not helpful, that do not draw those close to you. And Lord, we cast those aside today and focus on a mission of being a light, of using your word to model our lives after, to act like you, to draw others closer to you, closer to a life-changing relationship that you so desperately want with them. Lord, guide us and lead us as we take part in this mission, to make new disciples of yours. Amen.